This is The Guardian. Today, a snapshot of life around the world during some of the hottest days ever recorded. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you think of Rome in July, you might think of beautiful piazzas, cobblestone lanes, alfresco dining and sitting in the sun, contemplating ancient Rome or another round of Aperols. Angela Gifrida covers Italy for The Guardian and over the past few days, amid a record-breaking global heatwave, the reality of life in the Italian capital has been just a little bit different. It feels stifling. I've been here for 10 years and I lived in the UAE for five years. And this is feeling like life did in the UAE in that you feel as if you're trapped inside, whether that's at home or just wandering around a shopping centre. And people do look tired. They look exhausted as if they're kind of wilting. Over the past few days, Rome's been over 41 degrees, breaking its all-time heat records. The summers have always been hot here, you know, and we're used to hot summers. But I've noticed it getting worse over the last few years. It just makes everything quite unbearable. And it isn't just Italy. There are wildfires in Greece and Croatia. Across all of Europe, temperatures are 10 to 15 degrees hotter than usual. There are floods in China and India, spikes in hospital admissions in Japan, all linked to the extreme weather records being smashed around the world. And... This is the part that I find hardest to contemplate, but if you're finding these temperatures uncomfortable where you are, you're really not going to like what's coming next. This is us at 1.2 degrees above pre-industrial temperatures. And as it stands, we're heading for two and a half. That's, That's why people get afraid and upset and worried. Every alarm has been sounded about what's going to happen and the scientists have been proved right in the weather we're seeing right now. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the hottest few weeks ever recorded and why the records being set might not last long. Damien Carrington, you're The Guardian's environment editor. And in lots of places around the world, it's really, really hot right now. Cities and towns are on red alert. Records are being broken. Hospital admissions are spiking. We're obviously seeing global heating at work, but that isn't the only thing going on. So untangle for me the reasons why we're seeing such extreme weather in so many different places right now. 
So, as you say, the underlying and kind of unstoppable so far forces uh, global heating with uh, greenhouse gases trapping more heat in the atmosphere and in the oceans. But there are other factors. So El Nino is important. El Nino is a, a natural cycle and the cycle affects weather and temperatures all around the world. And what exactly is El Nino and how does it affect temperatures and extreme weather? So the El Niño-La Niña cycle is the biggest natural climate phenomenon on the planet. It's all based around the uh, temperature of the Pacific Ocean, which is the biggest ocean on Earth. The key thing is the strength of the winds that go towards the west of the Pacific in normal times, neutral years, if you like. They blow steadily and some warm water heads uh, towards Australia and Indonesia. When you go to La Nina, you get even stronger winds, and we just come out of three of those in the last three years. But we're just heading into the hot phase, which is El Nino. And what you end up is having a kind of big warm blanket of hot water pretty much across the um, equatorial Pacific, increasing heat back into the atmosphere. And that's what leads to extreme weather. And so what we're seeing now is the build-up of years of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere plus this El Nino weather pattern, and the combination of the two is, is unprecedented record-breaking heat. Yes, it is. Yes, so it's, like, it's like a double whammy. So you've got this kind of steady climbing of global temperatures because of global heating, and then you've got this kind of variable signal from one year to the next from El Nino, uh, La Nina. So the last big one we saw was in 2016, and that was the hottest year on record to date. In 2019-20, there was quite a small El Nino, but that still coincided with the uh, black summer in Australia. And so now, after three La Ninas, we're coming into a new El Nino. But we don't know quite how strong it's going to be. You usually get the biggest signals around the end of the year. And so early 2024 could be really hot, particularly in the Southern Hemisphere when it will be summertime. Obviously, we're going to hope that it's a fairly moderate one because a really strong one would make what we're seeing so far probably look rather small. I mean, it's it's already hot, unbearably hot in lots of places. But what does this kind of heat actually do to human bodies? Yeah, I mean, heat waves are often called the silent killer. And that's because people don't tend to drop down dead in the street. We haven't reached that extreme yet, but it can certainly affect older people, people with underlying medical conditions, children, because the body needs to cool. And we can do that by sweating. But if you're in a more humid place, that becomes more difficult. So it might kind of exacerbate um, you know, heart conditions or, or strokes or you know, respiratory conditions. And certainly when scientists look at excess mortality, and what they mean by that is looking at the number of unexpected deaths over a period of time, when you look at the heat waves in Europe last summer alone, they just estimated that about 61,000 people died early as a result of that heat. Gabrielle Cannon, you cover extreme weather for Guardian US. Tell me about the temperatures that Americans have been living through over the past few days. We've seen some absolutely brutal temperatures. I mean, we're talking 128 degrees Fahrenheit in Death Valley. That's just over 53 Celsius. That's, of course, creeping toward this world record. Uh, across the Southwest, we're, we're getting into territory now that is absolutely unlivable if you're outside for a sustained amount of time, and especially now that we're seeing very high nighttime temperatures as well. So people just aren't getting any relief. And so to get a sense of what this heat is doing to people, you've gone to Phoenix, Arizona. Tell me about what you saw there. 
Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of heat where you know, it, it takes the breath out of you. I mean, when you're walking around, even after just a few minutes, you can feel the toll on your body. And so one of the areas that I visited was actually an encampment where hundreds of people are living outside with no shade, um, only under these sort of makeshift shelters and tents. Hey man, I'm so sorry to bother you. My name's Gabrielle. Hi Gabrielle. Um, hi, nice to meet you. I showed up to the encampment um, in the morning thinking maybe we could get to, to people who weren't yet in the hottest part of the day. How are you, you hanging how you out got? here? Huh? How's it going out here? It's hot. We're talking sidewalks that are scorching. One official told me that the sidewalk or street temperature can actually reach up to 160 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 71 degrees Celsius. Unbelievable. I mean, that's, that's an incredible temperature. It's, it's quite horrifying, especially when you consider that these folks are out there with almost nothing. Um, if we do end up branching out, again, never go by yourself. Always tell someone where you're going before you go, please, and take one of the city people with you. I was lucky to connect with some officials uh, who are from the Phoenix's heat department. They have an agency that's dedicated to heat out there. Um, of course, they're out there each and every day trying to make sure that people have access to water. That's, of course, something that can be life-saving, especially if you can't get inside. And it was really remarkable how quickly, you know, those lines formed. I mean, people were in a dire need. If you start feeling dizzy or nauseous, please drink water, sit down, take care of yourselves. Um, you guys have kind of seen what we're giving out today. We've got the water, some games, some comments, hat sunscreen, hygiene kit in there. Uh, uh, oh. We have cooling towels, Elena. So as I started to walk around the community, um, you know, folks were more or less tucked inside of tents um, trying to seek any refuge they could from the sun. But for those who were out and about, there were many people who did want to talk about it and talk about how difficult it's been. One man in particular, his name was Michael Shaw. Uh, I actually met him because he was he had enough energy to kind of go back and forth between this water station to bring water to other people in the community who couldn't walk. There was one woman um, he was alerting officials to who had, who had had a stroke. Um, so she was in really bad shape. They were able to get her some medical attention. Um, yeah, I do. If I see somebody needs some help, yeah. my assistance, I'll go do it. And, yeah. yeah, it's because I'm not going to lie. My first instinct is to take care of me because I feel like sometimes. But Michael was, was really open about what it's like to live on these streets. I mean, one of the things that he talked about was how dangerous and violent um, this encampment is just generally. Of course, when it's hot outside, that also has an impact on human behavior and increases violence, it, it increases irritability. Um, so he was concerned on two fronts, both the, the dangers posed by the heat itself and by the, the dangers just that already existed in the encampment. I got mugged. Yeah, I got robbed before. But uh, the heat is just, it's a killer. My first summer down here, people got um, makes everybody very irritable. Thank you. Uh, goes through the roof. Um, We've seen record numbers of deaths in recent years. Um, the city of Phoenix is rallying to try to make sure that they don't break yet another grim record in terms of heat fatalities there. How many deaths are we talking about when the weather gets this hot? So last year, there were 425 deaths. And of course, these are, are deaths that are analyzed um, through a certain agency. Um, 
it's believed to be a higher number. It's it sometimes can be difficult, of course, to know what the long-term strain on a body is um, and what exactly is connected to the heat itself. But one of the shocking things in Phoenix is, you know, it's not just folks who are forced to live outside who are are dying from this really extreme heat. We're also seeing people who are succumbing to the conditions inside their homes. Uh, we have people who either have air conditioning units who aren't able to use them because they're too expensive. We have people whose power has gone off, people whose units have been non-functional for whatever reason. And these temperatures are so high that the line between life and death is so precarious. I mean, if your air conditioning stops working and you don't have a place to go or a a way to get there, I mean, that could really be a dangerous situation incredibly quickly. I mean, it's incredible that something like a busted air conditioner can be the difference between life and death in these conditions. Heat is something that obviously touches everybody, but I, I imagine not in an equal way. When you go to the better off parts of Phoenix, how are people there trying to mitigate these temperatures? You know, it's really night and day. Um, It's incredible how much of an impact trees can have um, and other greenery. I mean, you go across town and you're suddenly you know, in areas where there are nice green lawns, um, there are these swing trees. And of course, the heat is still incredibly stifling. But in those areas, uh, you know, it can, one official put it in, in the context of, of the effect it has on your body, um, it can be a 30 degrees Fahrenheit difference. So even though obviously the temperature itself isn't changing, just kind of puts that into perspective of how different it feels in a shaded area or in an area that's surrounded in greenery. So I think heat is one of those things that really draws a, a an incredibly sharp line between the disadvantaged and the privileged. Um, and it creates incredibly different situations for those who have to endure it and those who don't. Emma Graham Harrison, you're a senior international correspondent, and we're talking to you from Taiwan. What have we been seeing there and in China over the past few weeks? There's been sort of weeks, really, of of, of heat waves in China. We, we've seen records, different types of records being broken again and again. So like last month, Beijing logged its hottest ever June day, which was also the second hottest day since records began in the capital, when temperatures got to over 41 degrees. We've seen the weather in Sichuan province, which is in the east, has been so hot, there's been such droughts that they're running out of water in the hydropower reservoirs. This is important not just for Sichuan, because Sichuan exports electricity to other parts of China. They've started rationing power. There's a risk that 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 might sort of have a knock-on effect for other parts of China. There's been various different types of records. They, they've recorded the highest ever temperature in the country, over 52 degrees in a small wow. desert town in western China called Sanbao. Astonishing. It is really astonishing. So that town, or it's really sort of a, a, a township, I think it's a small place. It's in something called the, the Turpan Basin, which is a below sea level basin that has some of the most extreme weather in the country. So winters there are very cold. It's sort of a desert. So summers are very, very hot. 
it is hard to see how people with with health problems that's the type of temperature that that's going to be very dangerous for them in fact you know and does this extreme heat play into the politics of climate in china so it was pretty extraordinary it was one of those moments when when you, it's almost like nature was trying to make us pay attention you know china hit these record temperatures record high temperatures on the day that john kerry the us climate envoy began talks with his Chinese counterpart, Xia Jianhua, which had been Mm. paused for nearly a year. So basically, China had suspended all high-level diplomatic interactions with with the US after Nancy Pelosi, you know, Speaker of the House, had had visited Taiwan. And, you know, it's a sign of, it's really a worrying sign that, that, you know, China is very vulnerable to climate change and yet, you know, as in so many countries, we see short-term political interests being put ahead of this absolutely urgent human crisis. And, you know, China's in a funny situation because it's both the world leader in renewable energies, in wind energy, in solar energy, and also the world's biggest producer and consumer of coal-fired power, which obviously is incredibly damaging when we're talking about contributing to the climate crisis. Hmm. I mean, we know China isn't a democracy. And what I'm curious about is how much domestic pressure does it feel to take action to curb its emissions during a heat wave of the kind that we're seeing now? That's a very interesting question. I mean, of course, one of the problems with China not being a democracy is that it's very difficult to do public opinion surveys and sort of, you know, work out. The Chinese government, because they're not a democracy, do not have to deal with the type of direct action that we're seeing in the UK from from protesters like Just Stop Oil. Perhaps offsetting that is the fact that China is even more vulnerable to climate change than countries like the UK. And there's certainly a faction inside the Chinese government that has been very aware of that vulnerability. And there was a period when I worked in China and wrote a lot about environmental issues and climate change, when there were arguably people in China who were taking the threat of of posed by the global climate crisis more seriously than equivalent policymakers in, in Western countries. I think the question is, how much say did those scientists, those policymakers, the people who've been driving China to become a world leader in wind power and solar and things like that, to make commitments to cut coal-fired power, even if that's not happening yet, how, how much influence do they have in the government? And I think, unfortunately, if you look at the Chinese government, it's not democratic, but its attitude to the climate crisis can be compared to other countries, which is that they do not consider it an urgent enough political priority to focus on now. You know, climate, the climate crisis threatens everybody, um, but their government points out that they are still going through the process of industrialization, through a process of economic growth. And their argument, along with a lot of other countries in the global south, is that the industrialized, post-industrialized West could fuel its growth with as much as missions as they want and, you know, have become wealthy countries partly by contributing to the current climate crisis. And therefore, they say a heavier burden should fall on those countries or that at least any deal 
in terms of combating emissions and who has to do what and who has to put what money in should take into account historic emissions, not just current emissions. Mm. And meanwhile, its summers get hotter, floods become more frequent, extreme weather becomes a more regular event. Absolutely. But I, I would say this is one area where I think I would actually be quite wary of, you know, it's one of the very few areas where I'm not sure there's that much difference between what China's doing and what the West is doing. You have governments which have plenty of expert advice telling them that this is a couldn't be more urgent problem, which is already costing lives, costing the economy, needs to be tackled as a matter of utmost urgency, and yet is not treated like that politically. And I think that's something that, you know, one of the few things perhaps that, you know, Beijing, DC, London have in common. Coming up, global temperatures may never return to normal. So what does it mean for the way that we live? Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book, meet up with a friend, maybe a little nap. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Damien, we've just been hearing about parts of China where the temperature has reached 52 degrees, parts of Italy where it's been above 40 degrees for days and days on end, and American cities where just going outside is physically painful to people. What do the forecasts tell us about global temperatures in the years and decades ahead? Yeah, it's a really good question. So as you say, we're we're getting really hot temperatures now. The length of the heat waves is being prolonged by global heating, according to scientists. But unfortunately, we've only seen the start of it, really. These will be relatively common events in coming decades if we continue on the path we're on. And and we show no signs of uh, cutting carbon emissions in the way that would make a big and rapid difference. 
What's incredible and a bit horrifying is that the world looks like this at 1.2 degrees of global heating, but we're currently on track for double that, 2.5 degrees, maybe higher, by the end of the century. So if this is summer now, what does it look like in a decade or, or 20 years? It looks much worse. It's worth saying that, you know, looking at individual temperatures and individual places, I kind of feel like that's almost like the trailer for the movie, right? That's the kind of highlights. What's really serious and what's really problematic, what, what's the whole movie, is the whole of global heating, the whole planet heating up the oceans, the atmosphere, the land. And we have this kind of heating effect everywhere. So, you know, crops will become more difficult to grow. We'll have more flooding in some places. We'll have more droughts in other places. We'll have stronger um, tropical cyclones, which is, you know, hurricanes and 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 typhoons, everything gets supercharged. And we know this is going to happen because there's already been, I think, 500 studies looking very precisely at individual events and working out to what extent global heating was to blame as opposed to natural variation. And for example, in heat waves, 93% of the heat waves they've studied had a fingerprint or had been made worse or more likely or more intense by climate change. And we can say that pretty much for every heat wave in the world. So, you know, looking into the future, it's just going to get worse. If you think this was bad, then without pretty urgent action, then it's going to get much worse. So if this heat is now a fact of life, potentially for decades, potentially longer, what do government and societies need to start doing to make sure that we can withstand it? Well, I mean, yeah, the number one priority is stop making it worse. We've known how to do that for many years, and that's um, cut down on greenhouse gas emissions, particularly from fossil fuels, but also deforestation. Obviously, there's been lots of efforts towards that, but we still haven't kind of bent the curve. And actually, until we get down to zero emissions or net zero emissions, we'll continue to increase the heat. It's just like filling up a bathtub. It doesn't stop overflowing until you turn the tap off, Mm. um, and we're not near doing that. But as you say, you know, adapting is becoming an ever uh, more vital and urgent needs. So you try and stop it getting worse, but you've also got to adapt to what's already baked into the system and what's coming down the road. And to be honest, governments have done a pretty bad job. I mean, to give an example, in the UK this week, the government published its five-yearly adaptation plan, and it was panned completely, even by its official advisors that said it was a, a dangerous opportunity missed. Why was that? What, what, was, what was it missing? It didn't have a serious, broad funded plan to start adapting our country and infrastructure to heat. So, for example, you know, schools, prisons, hospitals, care homes, they're going to have to deal with extreme heat. Mm. Infrastructure and transport, how is that going to remain resilient? Uh, you know, broadband signals and internet, that's prone to hot weather. It can bend wires and uh, do all sorts of things, shift the ground. So, you know, the consensus of everyone outside of the government was that this was a pretty terrible plan. And I think, uh, you know, in lots of other countries, they're a long way behind. Mm. Of course, in, in the Developing countries, we've done the least to cause climate change, but are suffering the most. That need to adapt is, uh, is, is the most urgent. And Damien, this heat is coinciding with what are considered years of relatively slow progress on phasing out fossil fuels and reducing emissions. And for a long time, I think there was an assumption that as things got worse, governments and fossil fuel companies would start to feel greater pressure to get on a war footing to transition to green energy. Do you think that that assumption was wrong? I think it was overplayed, you know. I mean, we saw a very similar situation to that we have now in the world in 2018, where we had extraordinary heat in North America, in Europe and in East Asia. When scientists looked at that event afterwards, they decided that was impossible. That couldn't have happened without 
climate change. You know, the, the fingerprints were absolutely all over it. There was no doubt about it. And that's, you know, five years ago. Has the political pace picked up? No, it absolutely hasn't. And in fact, the um, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change in its most recent massive report, this is every important scientist in the world coming together. The results get signed off by all the world's governments. Yeah, they show that we have the technology available now for almost everything that we need to do. We've got electric cars, we've got renewable energy, we've got all the things that we need to switch into a low carbon economy. The problem is very squarely in the political space. Which I guess leads us to the million dollar question, which is how do you force that political change if the fact that things keep becoming more extreme in terms of the weather isn't enough to do it? I think politicians act when they think they have no option to because their electorate are demanding it. And now, of course, I should say at this point, you know, there are many countries in the world where people can't vote in free and fair elections, and that's a different situation. But even in those places, people can show that they are unhappy. They're worse than that. They're angry. They can show that they will not put up with it. I mean, an example that comes to mind, actually, is that um, there was terrible pollution problems in um, China, both air pollution, water pollution from chemical factories. Even in that state where elections don't really happen uh, in the way they do in democracies, people became so angry, demonstrated so loud and so hard that the authorities did take action. And air pollution has dropped dramatically in, in China and uh, other forms of pollution as well. So, you know, in the end, it's going to have to come from, from the people. There are so many people out there working really hard every day to try and make this change, straining every sinew that they have, whether they're protesters, scientists, economists, you know, and and politicians. There are some of them who are are well on board for that. So all is not lost just yet, but we're we're getting very close to the point where we're going to face some pretty catastrophic consequences, which will make today's weather look like pretty much a normal day. Damien, thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Damien Carrington, The Guardian's environment editor. Thank you also to Emma Graham Harrison in Taiwan, Angela Jafrida in Rome, and Gabrielle Cannon, who was in Phoenix. Before we go, for more on the heat and its impact on the body, and more Damien, listen to today's Science Weekly, out right now, wherever you listen to Today in Focus. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Eli Block and Klitsia Sala. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson, and we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.